0: Kendrick Winchester here with Autumn Frivet and this is Reading Women, a podcast where we're cleaving half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 38, where we're talking about Homegoing by Yad Jesse and Kindred by the Octavia Butler.
1: The Octavia Butler. The... And don't you forget it. I I won't. I won't. I know I often do. I'm I'm so sorry. I think, you know, it's been like two weeks since I read Kindred and I think I'm still in a coma. I I think that would be accurate, yeah. Yeah. I keep thinking about it. Now I want to just, like, trash my reading list and just only read Octavia Butler for the rest of the year. I saw some beautiful UK editions of The Parable of the Sower and (sighs)
0: whatever the sequel is, and I was like, I need those. Don't tell me this.
1: (laughs) Uh, We need to support the industry we love, Autumn. We don't buy enough books, apparently. (laughs) If anyone walked into my house and looked at my bookshelves, which, by the way, the bookshelves you see on all of our website and stuff like that are my actual real bookshelves. And there's a lot more where that came from, so <laughs> I support the book industry liberally. There's some in your closet. In my closet. In next your to library my bed, cart. In my new library cart. <laughs> I, have a, I have a shelf for, like, just my ornamental books. Yeah. <laughs> But that's not what we're here to talk about. What happens when two book lovers fall in love? I know, it's so romantic. (laughs) Anyway, people, okay, so people come into our house and they're like, oh my goodness, you guys have so many books. How do you have so many books? And I'm like, well, when you start collecting them when you're six. (laughs) And then you get married to someone else who's been collecting them since they were six. (laughs) (laughs) It just kind of, this happens. But anyway, we're here to talk about. Books. (laughs) Books <laughs> Four books. So before we start talking about the two books that we're going to discuss, we did want to kind of talk a little bit about Reading Women Challenge categories. Um, so many of you are participating, and we are just amazed and so honored and excited that you all are reading books from for our Challenge. Um, And I just kind of wanted to give a highlight about like some resources where you can find books if you're struggling to find one for a specific category. A lot of the categories come from our episode topics from last year. So if you go back into our episode archives, you'll see listed the different categories. And we have show notes. We also have wrap-up posts for those. So it should be around 12 books to choose from, something like that. And then we also have a Goodreads group where you can go and see what other people are reading. People are posting daily what they're reading, and there's a thread for each category. So if you're looking for something, be sure to check that out. Um, what are some other places?
0: I think I think that's about it. You can always hit us up on social media if you're looking for something uh, specifically to, that you want to read or, you know, a feel that you want, or if you're struggling with a particular challenge. I know we've had some uh, questions about the a book of a woman of color writing a book on civil rights. And so we have plenty of recommendations for that. And honestly, you guys have been giving each other lots of recommendations in the Goodreads group. So I think you guys have so many resources.
1: Yeah. So, but still, like if you have a question or if you are doing another challenge, and I know a lot of you are doing multiple challenges and you're trying to think of something to cover a couple topics, let us know. And we'll take a stab at it. So, with that said, Kendra. Why
0: don't you start now? Right. So the first book we're going to discuss is Homegoing by Ya Jesse, And this is out from Knopf. And uh, my UK edition is out from Penguin Viking. And I just love... Uh, how beautiful this book is, I'm just going to say. That has nothing to do with the actual content, though you could say something corny like, it's as beautiful inside as it is on the outside. But I won't, because we're not corny like that.
1: (laughs) No, we are much more dignified than that. (laughs) Well, but everyone already knows we judge books by their cover. So So true.
0: (laughs) So the book starts out with Effia and Essie, and they are two half-sisters who don't know that the other exists, and they live on the Gold Coast of Africa. And I think as it's like pre-1700s or in the 1700s. It's uh, not I'm, very clear. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure, but it's around that time because one of the sisters is taken into slavery and sent to the United States and one stays in Africa. And from there, we follow their descendants and we flip back and forth, going to Africa and one descendant and going back to America for the other one, back and forth forward through in time to the present. And uh, it's a beautiful story. The structure is fantastic. And Yal Jesse was born in Ghana, but was raised in Huntsville, Alabama. So she also has kind of this dual nature about her and this, you know, dual culture uh, as part of her life.
1: So I was intrigued about, I knew nothing about this book going in, even though I'd seen a lot of people talking about how great it was. And I don't know if it's just that I forgot or that I just, didn't pay attention. Both are likely. As soon as I saw like the family tree in the front of the book, I was really interested. And I referenced that family tree a lot as I read just to kind of help visualize where I was in the chronology. So that was really helpful. Yeah, I'm definitely glad. And I Seeing that. And also it helps you
0: keep track of the parts that you've already read as well as you move through the book and reminders of Mm -hmm. who's who. Because, of course, each generation references the past generations. And I also found it interesting because this is basically, you know, this is a family saga. You love family sagas. Yes. One of my favorite parts is when an author does a family saga really well and there's a lot of generations, what happens in the first you know, couple generations becomes like legend and folklore to the future generations. And you can see them looking back on it and you have that nostalgia, even though that was just 100 pages ago. So before
1: we kind of get into it a little bit more, um, I wanted to read a quote. So it's an essay part of the story. And it says, quote, and in my village, we have a saying about separated sisters. They're like a woman and her reflection doomed to stay on the opposite sides of the pond, end quote. And that is so early on in the book that it doesn't really have you go. Oh, that's interesting. And then you just kind of move on. But after finishing it, I was reminded of that quote. And I was like, wow, like that's exactly what she does in this book. It's literally mirror images of the same person. Or this family, yeah. And we talked about in the last one that it's
0: like it's the same person with two different possible realities, kind of deal. And I like that idea of reflection because it's like the same but but different, and what she did with that. And I always love going back through and seeing hints of what the author's doing. They're kind of like helping you
1: along. Yeah, I almost feel like maybe on the second read, I would pick up on a lot more of the connections. Than on the first read, because on the first read, you're just absorbing all of it. Yeah, and
0: I for me, this was definitely was a, a page turner. And I was like, I need to know what happens, like what happens to their kids and absorbing all I of it. No,
1: I think I sat
0: down and like accidentally read 50 pages. One of the things I really loved about this book is what it taught me about history and, and what it was like to live at certain times as an African-American person or as a as an African living still in, in I believe it's Ghana, eventually what will become Ghana. Uh, where where uh, the author is from. And I learned so much about just the culture of of people from Ghana, but also about like the time period. So for example, one character works in a mine and it was after slavery that people would often it was basically like prison, essentially, and they would do something and they would put them back to work, just where slaves used to work, but as indentured like like as as prisoners. And that was like their punishment, and so it was like this. I, you know, that slavery was still continuing, but in different forms. It reminded me. Um, I guess since I read them in opposite order, but it reminds me of "Sing Unburied," "Sing," and when we look at uh, Jojo's grandfather and what he what happened to him at that prison.
1: Yeah, you definitely can't not draw parallels between the prison system post Civil War and the imprisonment of young black men then, and to what still happens now. And I thought that yeah, it was just really helpful to like understand that context and to learn about it. It's the kind of stuff that doesn't necessarily make it into a history book. Yeah. Uh, She
0: also covers, like, she covers, obviously she covers part of the South, but she also covers, there's a a family where the woman's husband is a very light-skinned African-American man, and so he can pass, actually, as white. But she is living in New York, and she has a son, and eventually, you know, he leaves her, and he goes and gets a white family. And it reminded me of different stories, like Boy Snowbird and just... And uh, some stuff that Toni Morrison writes about colorism mm. and just how that, you know, has affected their life. And it was just, but it was very moving because this is another story of what it's like to be an African-American and all the different possibilities throughout history. And I just really enjoyed what Yaa Jesse did with them.
1: Yeah, and you really get a whole spectrum of experiences in this book and no two experiences are exactly alike. Like some of the experiences are similar, but they're not exactly Like identical, which also kind of, I don't know, it just really makes it more realistic in so many ways. But one of the quotes to later on, not the last generation that the stories come from, but the one before the last one, so the penultimate generation, one of the, it's a young man, well, I guess he's not young, this man who he is a school teacher at a school in Africa, and he's on like the Africa side the one who wasn't sold into slavery and he's teaching his students in a history class and he says this is the problem with history we cannot know that which we were not there to see and hear and experience for ourselves we must reply upon the words of others we believe the one who has the power he is the one who gets to write the story so when you study history you must always ask yourself whose story am i missing and i just thought that was like a really great quote um, and I think that she really shows that in this book about, like, how there's so many aspects of slavery and Africa and even, like, all the different tribes within Africa and the tribal politics that we just don't really get.
0: Yeah. You know, that is actually something that I'd wondered about, like, what happened to the communities that stayed. And obviously they became, you know, different nations uh, you know all over africa and so in particular ghana i mean i know nothing about ghana at all and so reading this it was like she's she is telling a story about a story that we don't often hear about and it made me want to go actually go pick up writers from ghana which if anyone has any recommendations about writers who are from there uh either translated or not definitely send them our way because i would be definitely interested in reading those
1: And I think in the back of the book, at least in the edition that I read, in the acknowledgments, she mentions some books that she used as a reference for, like, her research. So I was even looking at those and interested in picking up maybe one or two of those.
0: It's always nice when authors do that. It's like, here, go forth and read.
1: (laughs) Yes. Well, one, because, like, it helps... I mean, it even just adds more authority to what they're saying because they're like, this isn't just me. Like, there's other people who have researched this too. Um, But then it's also helpful if you do want to read more and are interested in it. And also, since, you know, this is a work of fiction, especially when they cite
0: nonfiction works so you know you can go and find like the true story of the version that you read. you know what I'm saying?
1: Yes,
0: yes. so that's always again very very helpful.
1: And we keep calling these like different stories and like so it is one novel and one cohesive narrative but each of the chapters is self-contained more or less. Like it does reference the previous generation, you know, like the children will reference their fathers or their grandfathers or something like that. Um, but it because each of the stories are set in really different time periods, it almost feels like a short story in a way. Yeah, it
0: reminds me of David Mitchell's The Bone Clocks, you know, how yes. uh, mm-hmm. we always reference that one. But I think it's the most popular one that people can like, oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. I have a secret
1: crush on that book, but I guess it's not a secret anymore.
0: No, no. no. <laughs> But yeah, this book is really is really well done, and you can see why a lot of people love it. So yeah, we really enjoyed this book, and I will say, you know, this is a debut, and she did get, you know, the 535 from the National Book Award, which is a great honor to be recognized like that. And But you can tell, like, this is a debut, I think, in some of the characterization near the end, and the end in general is just not as tight as the earlier sections. But the, what she did with the structure is still very, very impressive, and it is... Definitely,
1: I think, worth the hype. So, well, and I do agree that the end felt a little bit rushed. And I think it's just a testament to like how in love I fell with these characters that I was just wish there'd been like a couple more pages at the end just to kind of really flesh it out. Yeah. And
0: I don't know if it was like her choice or the publisher wanted her to stay within a certain page limit. I kind of wish it had been longer. But that said, it's still an amazing book and a great read. So, yeah, you'll definitely want to go check out Homegoing by Yal Jesse. And that is out from Knopf.
1: So, this time we're for our sponsor section. We're just going to talk about their new Reading Women store. Um, we have moved it over to Etsy, which gives us a little bit more flexibility in what we can offer. And we have their um, Reading Women tote bags with the logo on them, and their nice canvas tote bags. And then um, We have stickers, we have Reading Women Award kits, so we have seals with the Reading Women Award logo on them that you can get to put on your award-winning books like Pachinko or Hunger, Shelter, or all the single ladies. And we also have bookmarks, and we have stickers, and then we also have blind book dates, which have been wildly popular. We've sent out so many of those blind book dates, and so far, everyone has been has loved the books that they've gotten. And so you'll definitely want to check that out. We have a lot of books to pick from. And what we do with that is you send us the three most recent books that you've read and loved. And then we will choose from our stash and we will mail you a book with a little note about why we think you'll like it. So it's been really fun to send those out. Yeah, it's like a puzzle. It is like a puzzle. We
0: like bookish puzzles.
1: Who wouldn't? That's a valid question. And it's always an adventure. Like I always wrap them up. And put, like, ribbon on them. And I always have to wrestle Agnes because she wants to eat it. <laughs> so if you get a ribbon that looks like it has a cat chomp mark on it, it probably does. <laughs> I try to keep her out of the room. Just, she just wants to help. No. She wants to be part of, you know, Reading Women. She's part of the team. One of our mascots. So just be sure to check out our store. There's a link on our website. And there's also one on our Instagram page and, and in our show notes. And I think it's your turn, Autumn, for your discussion book. Yes. So as we keep referencing, the second (laughs) book we're going to talk about is Kindred by the Octavia Butler. (laughs) And this edition of the book that I have was published by Beacon Press. Um, And this book has been out for a while, so there's a lot of different editions. But yeah, let's talk about Octavia Butler. So just a really quick recap about this. The plot is it is about... A woman named Dana, who's living in 1976, California, and she's an African-American woman who's a writer. And is married to Kevin, who's also a writer, recently had a novel published, and he is white. And they just bought a brand new house, and they're unpacking their bookshelves. And she is, like, she gets dizzy, and she starts to fall to the floor, and she's transported back to Antebellum, Maryland Where, come to find out, she rescues the son of a slaveholder, or plantation owner, both, one and the same, from drowning in a river. And that's where our story begins. Well, the first line of the book, it starts the
0: prologue, and it's, I lost an arm on my last trip home. My left arm. And it's like, how, how can you not keep reading? I don't... Right! I don't... I don't know how anyone couldn't, and I think that really just speaks for how riveting this book is. Like, the moment you started, like, I could not stop listening to this book. You know, I found all
1: kinds of tasks that I needed to do that I could do while listening. Well, and it's <laughs> interesting, too, because I didn't really realize it until we started writing out our notes for this, that both of these books talk about home. Yeah. And what is home, and getting back to home as well. Yep. And what does that even mean? But... My initial impressions of the book was that, you know, I've heard about Octavia Butler and I've had like Josh read Parable of the Sower earlier last year and thought it was amazing. And I've had lots of people telling me, oh, my goodness, Octavia Butler, and I never read her. And so this is my first exposure to her work, and I like it far exceeded my expectations. She has a really firm grasp of the English language, and at face value, her word, her prose is really simple, like straightforward kind of simple, which is deceptively so because it is so, man, like. I still get the chills when I think about parts of this book.
0: And, you know, she is like the queen of science fiction and the fact that she just brings such talent to this genre and to, you know, the crossing genres type book. is just makes me just so incredibly happy because I remember when we were talking about N.K. Jemison, we talked about Octavia Butler because there hadn't been a winner of, I think it was the Hugo sense Octavia, like a, of a black mm-hmm. woman author winning for best novel since Octavia Butler or something like that. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I, I obviously we need to read Octavia Butler because N.K. Jemison is. <laughs> we have to say like <laughs> makes you live forever. Oh hell, um, N.K. Jemison. <laughs> but so yeah, I I now need to go and, and find the rest of Octavia yes. <laughs> Butler stuff and read them immediately and buy all
1: the things. Apparently, oh my goodness. So speaking of like science fiction and stuff, like what did you think about the time travel element in this book? I thought she did a great job because when she started,
0: she created definite rules for the reader and you need to do that. So the reader knows like what is expected. Cause even though it's fantastical, there have to be some sort of rules of how it works. And sometimes, cause she also changed uh, location when she traveled through time. And sometimes you don't, like you have to decide, is that a thing? And, um, we figured out that, you know, the rule, she's connected to Rufus, who happens to be her ancestor, which she discovers pretty quickly. And that when he's in trouble is when she ends up there. And then when she feels she's in trouble, she travels back. So we know how that works. So she started learning how to manipulate that a little bit and, you know, take stuff with her. And so I thought she did a great job with those rules because they're very simplistic, but they work really well.
1: Well, and if anyone's concerned, like they're if you have don't particularly prefer science fiction, this is very much like an entry-level science fiction, I would say. Yeah, it's like gateway. Yeah, um, because there's just like the traveling back and forth in time. And it does show like how history keeps like pulling us back into the past kind of a thing. So it even as like a thematic element as well as like a plot element. In the book.
0: Yeah, it's not just like this, you know, kitschy device that she's using. It actually, you know, reinforces a theme, like like Autumn said. And even, you know, uh, uh, Dana loses her arm to the past. She loses a part of herself uh, to her her travels and, and to what the past has
1: affected her present. And that's something that she really struggles with is balancing her present, which is like 1970s California, with, you know, pre Civil War very pre-civil war maryland and i just felt that tension as i read this book like through the entire thing and i will say that a bit of a heads up is that she does describe how the slaves were treated in very explicit terms and especially like the beatings and there's a suicide in here and so if you're sensitive to that kind of thing you might just want to be aware of it i saw a performance of Natasha Trethewey's Native Guard over the weekend. And part of it is from the perspective of a man who was a soldier in the Civil War who was a former slave. And his descriptions, like as he was talking about it, I had these images in my mind that Octavia wrote in this book. And it's just like totally, I don't know, she just very enlightening in a good way. But it's horrible. Like it's horrible what happens to these people, but definitely changed my perspective.
0: I've seen some people actually describe this as bordering on horror because of uh, all of the intensity that is in there. And I mean, yeah, it has a lot of trigger warnings in it, but it just goes to show you like how horrible it really was. And I think oftentimes we forget. And that's actually Mm -hmm. something that's in the book because... Her husband, Kevin, being white, is, you know, he's taken back with her and he doesn't get it like she does, obviously, because he's not a slave when they go to the plantation. He's just like so he poses as this traveling guy who owns Dana. So he it takes him a while to understand and get it like like Dana does, obviously. But something that's also mentioned during all of that time is that. Rufus's dad is actually a pretty quote unquote decent slave owner. Yes, <laughs> like if that's even a thing, and he he doesn't treat them as bad as other plantations, and so you it's kind of like Octavia even had needed needed to stay her hand with exactly what she
1: showed. Yeah, and because you do hear people say, especially where I've grown up. Well, they didn't have it so bad. Well, there were good slaveholders or whatever. Unfortunately, there are people who have that opinion. But, like, even this book showed, like, there's no such thing. Like, there's just really no such thing. And even with Rufus... So, she meets Rufus when he's, like, six, four? Something like that, yeah, when he's in the river. Yes, and every time she comes back, he's older. So, she knows him into his 20s, even though she doesn't age at all. And... We see Ruf—like, there's a part where she hopes that maybe Rufus will be different from his dad because he has—because Rufus knows Dana and has—she's able to talk to him about some of the things that she sees. And it raises this really interesting question about, like, whether or not you can escape your past and whether or not you can escape, like, your culture and just the amount of work it requires to take yourself outside of your patterns of thinking And there's a
0: quote that is in the book, something about how Dana always wondered how a lot of people would believe that slavery was okay. She never understood how anyone could think that way. But as she moves through the plantation and she begins working, uh, she can see how people would eventually believe that. And uh, that's one of um, my edition has like discussion questions in the back. And that's one of the things that they suggest you talk about, because Kevin, when he comes on, he obviously way does not even understand that. And and Dana even struggles to understand like how this just changes people as human beings and, and how on earth people could believe that this is okay. And she begins to see why people would think it was okay because it's just society, but it's not right. And so she has to grapple with that internally a lot. And also she gets to know the different slaves that are from that time period and it grow to you know love them. And she sees their lives throughout the
1: years. And it, it is difficult in that way. And it's even, you know her relationship with Rufus, like sh- there's a part of her that holds out for so long that maybe he'll be different. And it takes him starting to mistreat her. First verbally and then physically, um, for her to finally understand that like he's he's a byproduct of his upbringing and he's just like his father, and she couldn't change him, which is a really sad realization.
0: Yeah, because you can tell she begins to really you know kind of like him in his, his weird way, uh, but he's just you know grows up and is similar to his father. So, I think as we mentioned, uh, you know Dana is affected. Uh, by the past and so we know that Rufus is her ancestor and that so obviously that she it cannot escape it because he literally is part of her past and there was something actually a parallel that I saw between this and a home because in the first section of home we have um, Essie who marries a white slaver and it was common at the time for white slavers to have a uh, you know a African wife. In Africa while they were there, and then they would just go home to their white wives and they would just go back and forth. And so Essie's son is biracial. Everyone there, when he would go into the jungle and see tribes, they, they would be like, Are you white? Because he's so he's much paler compared to them. So it just reminded me about how, you know, so many white slaveholders mistreated their slaves, and that's why there are a lot of biracial children, but they were obviously You know, still any, you know, one, you know, the one drop rule. And so that's why it's part of Dana's past Mm. is because Rufus is her ancestor. Obviously something happened there uh, because, you know, Dana is black. And so she has to come to terms with that as well because she knows Rufus is her ancestor. She knows that has to happen at some point, but she doesn't know how. She must think the
1: best of him. And then she does have a, a conundrum at one point because she wants to kill him. And she's like, I can't because her, well, uh, what was the one Alice? Yes, because Alice hasn't had her baby yet. So she was like, I can't kill him because my great, 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 great grandmother hasn't been born yet. Um, so it's this really interesting situation that she's put in where she has to like it, it, it. Just the whole thing is amazing how like she has to go. She from the present has to go back into the past in order almost to save herself.
0: And she kind of has to deal with the past. It's almost like to save herself in the present, she has to go back and deal with a lot of uh, the baggage of, the, of her history, of her past, but it still changes her when she does that. I think that is a, a metaphor of what Octavia Butler was trying to say what it's like to be an African American having to deal with the horror of that, which Dana faces.
1: And at the end of the book, after she stopped, like after a couple months of her not going back in time, she and Kevin go back to Maryland and try to find these places that she visited. and she can't really find them, but it's still this moment where they can like have some closure and kind of see what they've only seen in flashbacks, I guess. Um, so I think ultimately it's pretty hopeful. It, it is a heavy read in a lot of ways. It's a gripping read. It's a fast-paced read, but in it but it's also there is a little bit of hope at the end.
0: I love what Octavia Butler did with it, especially with Dana and Kevin's marriage. We don't get a lot of really intense looks at marriages, like people who are already married. It's usually like, you know, the meet cute and and whatever, which we do see a little of. But like it's a study in almost their marriage and what can they overcome. Mm -hmm. And since, you know, Kevin is white and Dana is black, there's a lot of implications there and themes that Octavia Butler pulls out of that, which are just fantastic.
1: And she does definitely allude that like this whole experience changed the relationship in some way. I don't really know that we know how, but it does affect them. Yeah. So we've run out of time, but that is kind of a high level overview of what happens and some of the themes in Kindred by the Octavia Butler. Highly recommend you go pick up a copy. um, And I'm definitely going to dig into some of her other books as well.
0: So that's it for our month on uh, Black Women Writers for Black History Month. Definitely check out our wrap up, which will go up on our website uh, a week from when this podcast episode goes up. So you can have even more recommendations for that. And next month is... Classic Women! And we're taking that theme and we're interpreting it actually a lot of different ways, which I've been kind of excited about.
1: So, Yes. So, it's time to dust off all those classics that you've been needing to read since you left high school. Something like that. (laughs)
0: Uh, So, that's it from us. If you haven't already and you love reading women, uh, it would mean the world to us if you take the time to go and review us in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. It really makes our day and helps other people find us. You can also check out our newsletter for new books, book reviews, all kinds of different things that we put in there. We also have giveaways. There's just a lot in there that you won't want to miss, and that will be linked in our show notes.
1: So that's our show. Thank you all so much for listening and for joining us for this discussion about kindred and homegoing we will be posting about these on our social media channels so be sure to post your thoughts about these books if you've read them and we'd love to talk to you about them in real life about it um so be sure to look for our posts there and you can find reading women on social media channels at the reading women on twitter litzy instagram facebook You know the drill. Um, You can also find Kendra at KD Winchester, and you can find me at Autumn Privet. And thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye, guys.